you know, my grandmother was a master storyteller. It was a way that I could really understand how people operate, the way the world works. And humans are hardwired to learn from stories. Thank you for joining us. This is another episode of Destiny Benders, the podcast where we speak with international educators and education entrepreneurs and learn about their journey and what keeps them going in the field of international education. Girish, how are you doing? This week was a big week for you guys at Gen Next because you had your inaugural G2 event on Wednesday. Is that right? What was that all about? That is correct, Jess. Good to see you again. Um, uh, yeah, it was a big week. We had our first of the three G2 events, the global gatherings that we're hosting this year. Although this wasn't the inaugural one online because we did one two years ago. But for uh-huh. this year, for the series, this was the first of three. And it was excellent. It was 18 hours on Wednesday. It was started at 1 a.m. in the morning and went through 7 p.m. So wow, gosh. So recovering from lack of sleep. You know, yeah. I can't stay up like I used to when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess maybe I'm getting over. But no, it was great. We had close to 900 people from over 90 countries from around the world who had registered. And we had 21 sessions and several hours of networking on the platform, on the connected platform. Wow. And it was just awesome. I mean, great speakers. We had three keynotes uh, from three different parts of the world, one from India, one from Africa, and one from the Americas. And uh, sessions covering a gamut of topics for counselors, for university reps, uh, learning new things, learning about new markets. But it was it was excellent. It was a great event. Oh, fantastic. It was really cool. Loved it. It was great. Cool. Turn out great, great, got some great feedback from people. So now we're all excited to plan and execute on the in-person one in August that's coming up in Bangalore, August 17th. And 18th. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, and we'll definitely have to talk about that once that happens and see how that goes. That's exciting. 100%. That's like, well, that, that sounds cool. My fun yesterday or this week was it was my son's senior prom yesterday. Oh, how did that go? Yeah, really well. I mean, I obviously wasn't there, but I stood outside the front and took photos as they all went in. So, it, <laughs> yeah, he, he looked great and they were all just you just wanted to give them all big hugs as they were all dressed up going into the hall nice. for their nice. senior prom. Yeah. So oh. it's end of an era, you know, it's kind of well, you have a daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who's well, older than Max. So she's probably, yeah, you know, you feel this kind of wave of emotion as you see them ending one sort of their younger years, one part of their life and stepping into adulthood. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I can't believe she's going to college. You know, that's a, that's a great topic, actually, as we we're talking about, because I'm really excited for our guest today, Linda Calhoun. She's a founder of Career Girls. So I don't know anything about it. Do you? I don't. I don't. And Linda was recommended to us by a former Destiny Benders guest, Tanya Mishra, and she suggested that we reach out to Linda. So I'm really glad that we did because Linda's going to tell us all about career girls and how she's helping prep young women for going into higher education or and then into career and how they should kind of go about making those decisions and learning what's best for them and really guiding them in that very important choice. Yeah, amazing work. So yeah, let's meet Linda. Welcome back to Destiny Benders. Today, Girish and I are thrilled to have as our guest, Linda Calhoun, who is the founder and CEO of Career Girls. Linda, welcome to the podcast, Destiny Benders. Something a little bit different for us today. We're excited to have you. Thank you so much, Jessica and Girish. I'm delighted to be here with you. Nice to meet you too, Linda. I'm so excited that you're here. So why don't we start with just your journey? Tell us what you've done so far and how you came about to founding Career Girls. Yeah, no, I'm happy to share that with you. I'd like to tie it into the title of your 
podcast, Destiny Benders, because I'm the beneficiary of um, some really key and impactful Destiny Benders in my journey, uh, starting with my maternal grandmother and both my parents, who were just so important in terms of making sure that I could have the resources um, to really explore my interests and learn and support my love of learning, which really allowed me to make my way in this world and to know that by sharing knowledge, by crowdsourcing knowledge, that I was going to be able to leave the world better than I found it. So I grew up in the U.S. Um, my parents were the first in their family to graduate high school, and none of my grandparents went beyond eighth grade living in the Jim Crow South. So everyone knew that education was the way to have um, improved standards of living. And so I'm the first in my family to graduate from college. And so some of the things that were important for me in those formative years was, you know, I had access to world book encyclopedias. Um, I, they were my friends. I would read it cover to cover. And then I also had international pen pals and I would collect stamps internationally. And I do remember as if it happened yesterday, uh, a field trip that we did in fourth grade to the United Nations. I, I was living in Connecticut and we went to the UN and when that bus pulls up and you're at UN Plaza and you see all of the flags there. So that really, I mean, those were the seeds of my interest um, in the world outside of growing up in the United States. And I carried those through in terms of, you know, understanding and supporting travel. I knew from my family circle that sort of the stereotypes that, you know, Black families aren't invested in their children's development, that simply wasn't true. And then being able to travel, I was also able to disrupt those stereotypes of, you know, knowing that we all want the best for our children. We all want to see them flourish and succeed. And, you know, understanding that commonality amongst people um, was just a value that I internalized and has been driving everything that I've done in my life. Um, so my story in terms of uh, how I began working internationally is I had the um, honor to be an elections observer in South Africa um, at the all-race elections in 1994 when Nelson Mandela became president and apartheid was formally um, ended. One of the things I witnessed there is the power of young people to make change. Um, they were really the drivers and the catalyst behind a lot of the reforms that ultimately resulted in the end of apartheid. So I knew the power of youth voices. Um, later on from that experience, I had the opportunity to work as a consultant in one of the former Soviet republics, uh, the Kyrgyz Republic. And uh, it was part of the United States Agency for International Development, their privatization um, programs that they were doing. And frequently, um, they would bring all the contractors together. And there were some women, but there was no one black or brown in the room. And uh, this is mid-90s to late 90s. And I knew the only reason I was in that room was based on what I was passionate about and my level of educational attainment. And it just really hit me that if I could be in that room, any girl could be in that room. And I wished I'd known sooner about the type of work that I was doing. I mean, no one in my family, I had lots of examples of very hardworking, multiple job, hardworking men and women in my family, but no one who had a job where you could say, this is the scope of work. This is what I'll do it for. And people would pay you. So I wished I had known that. <laughs>
a lot sooner than I did. And that's really um, how the idea, the concept for Career Girls was born. I wanted to make sure that girls coming up behind me, especially girls who come from under-resourced communities like the one that I grew up in, understood that combining passion and education was a way to have agency over your life. And I just started reaching out to very um, diverse and accomplished women, asking them to talk about what they do, how they got there. But most importantly, what anyone watching their interview um, would do in order to prepare for a career and a life of their dreams. And so that was the beginning of Career Girls you know, going out, doing those interviews, and something that was always critically important to me, especially as the reader of the encyclopedia, is I always wanted a how-to-be-it component. So the thing that makes us unique is that we provide inspiring video of very diverse and accomplished women, so you can see someone you can relate to. And then we always, always provide that how-do-you-do-it piece. What is that career like? What are the educational requirements that support a career for that role model? And so, you know, fast forward, um, the website went live in January 2011. Since that time, traveled all over, um, primarily the U.S., but have done some international video shoots where we've interviewed 800 plus women. And each one of those interviews basically gets edited down to about 20 individual video clips or so. Um, You never see or hear me. It's just that role model speaking to the question that I pose to them. And so what that means is we have a library of over 16,000 videos of these women sharing their first person narratives about their life in the workplace, um, their career journey, um, some sense of who they are as people, and of course, their educational journey. Um, the other thing that was critically important about Career Girls is um, it had to be freely accessible. You know, I come from a community where it would have been prohibitive, really, to charge to have access to this information. So there's no login, there's no sign in, you just navigate to careergirls.org and you're able to see video content, you're able to read um, concrete career information, you're able to see what courses you need to take for um, a degree related to the career, you're able to take career quizzes, (laughs) you're able to take a, a college major quiz, And then uh, we also have resources for teachers, school counselors, um, mentors, and parents to be able to take this content and engage with their child. That sounds amazing. I have been on your site, um, but didn't fully explore it to realize that there were that many different kinds of resources on there. For our listeners who are around the world and who may not know about Career Girls, you have talked quite a bit about it, but let's take it back to to basics um, and just tell us a little bit about what is Career Girls. You've kind of talked about the resources that are on the site, but the mission, the vision, you know, what was that impetus to get you started to to found um, the site, the organization, uh, kind of back to basics for Career Girls so we know more about it. Absolutely, absolutely. And the mission is, you know, we were founded on um, the dream that every girl around the world has access to diverse and accomplished women role models to learn from their stories to be able to create a life and career of their dreams. So that's our guiding star. And the why behind that is um, I wished I'd had a resource like Career Girls to be able to support um, people that were invested in my success, certainly starting with my family and also with educators. So it is a online platform and it's also accessible offline, but I'll, I'll speak to you about the careergirls.org website. 
and it's designed for girls. We we like to uh, segment or reach girls before there's a drop off in terms of their academic performance, especially as it relates to careers in the STEM fields. There's third-party research that says that um, boys and girls have parity in terms of their interest in and their aptitude for um, math and science till about fourth grade when girls start to fall behind. So as someone who was able to have um, career success in you know, be fully self-actualized in a STEM profession, I wanted to make sure that girls did not take themselves out of the running or out of the ability to enter the STEM pipeline um, by keeping them on track academically. And the American Association of University Women um, had a study that said uh, it was entitled Why So Few? And they noted the drop-off, but they also noted that um, if girls could see women in fields that utilize math and science in in careers that were benefiting their community, then they're much more likely to stay on track academically. So for girls, we wanted to sort of provide that imagination guardrail, for, for lack of a better term, for them to understand this is what you can do with those academic subjects that you're learning um, in school. And then we also know that we wanted to support those stakeholders that are, you know, striving to help um, girls learn and stay on track academically. So that's where we reached out to education experts who helped design curriculum, who helped us understand what is needed in a classroom for a teacher, or what do school counselors need in order to be able to use this resource to do their work. You know, so we have a school counselor advisory board. We also have a girls advisory board, you know, where we get their feedback, we get their ideas, we get their suggestions on what do they need on this platform to be able to really close the imagination gap for a child. And what we mean by that is what they may think is available for them in terms of career possibilities versus what's actually available to them, given their passion and um, educational pursuits. So with the intel from those communities, we make sure that First of all, we have very diverse women role models in a variety of careers. We're STEM focused, but you know, we've got ballerinas, we've got chefs, we, you know, we we want to meet girls where they are. And then, as I said, we we take information from other sources like the Bureau of Labor Statistics about how you prepare the demand for a job the um, salaries for a job, the education required, and then always, always thinking about that first-generation college student. Jessica, we, you know, we've got to demystify that for them. Um, And we say, this is what you're going to study, you know, these first two years, three years, four years, um, in order to get that degree in whatever that subject is. Um, And then we are always thinking about how can we make you know the knowledge and the wisdom that we get from our role models accessible? So we put that on our social media. Um, we also have something called empowerment videos, where one of the things we get is not only the career and you know sort of the hard skills required for a career, but also those soft skills that are required for social and emotional learning. So our role models speak to the importance of integrity, financial literacy teamwork, leadership. So we um, create these short videos, there's a couple minutes, and then we have this curriculum that we, again, we work with educators um, who come up with classroom lesson plans, independent um, learning guides, and then fun page activities for a child to be able to do on their own that relate to the video that the child just watched. 
And then we also um, do direct engagement. For three years, we did a pilot program in a local elementary school in San Francisco where we presented our Career Girls Club curriculum. And that's a 15-week program where students watch video, they have a discussion about it, and then they do an activity that's related to it. And, you know, that was very successful. This was all pre-pandemic in terms of girls really enjoying that experience of learning collectively about a soft skill also about career exploration. Then um, once the pandemic started, we shifted to virtual programming. And so we've done webinars where we engage women experts who, again, are are speaking to the career aspects of what they do, their career paths, their journeys. And then they also speak to um, those soft skills that help them along in their career journey. And then um, from webinars, we also started doing um, multi-day, hour-long camps with uh, girls where they're um, hearing conversations with subject matter experts, but then they're in breakout groups where they can engage with them directly. So those have been um, incredibly impactful and popular for us. And we've covered topics like artificial intelligence and machine learning and robotics, environmental science, financial literacy, cybersecurity, um, Web3, financing for entrepreneurship, you know, business model and IPO, initial public offering, boot camp. These girls are amazing. They totally understand the nuance of what's being presented to them and why. And they ask fantastic questions of our subject matter experts to deepen the engagement for them. Wow. That gives you a, a fuller picture. Oh of- my God. My, you know, uh, first of all, uh, talk about destiny bending work. Secondly, as a father of three girls, I really applaud you for the work you're doing. And my girls are going to be on your site later today. <laughs> uh, and I'm frankly, I'm quite speechless. And Jessica will tell you that does not happen often. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm blown. My mind's just blown, right, Jess? Well, you uh, know. It's, it's just, I mean, the work, I mean, it's just, I, I want to get back, I want to go back on your website and like really dig in. But before we go further into what you're doing with Career Girls, I want to go back to your own journey. Yeah. You said you found yourself in South Africa and in Kyrgyzstan. Okay, I'll tell you. Direction observation. So I'm curious. How does one from here show up in South Africa and say, hey, I'll be an election observer? So I'm curious, what did you do in college? Like, I'm sure when you're in high school, you probably weren't thinking this is what you're going to do. So I'm kind of curious what your personal journey was being in high school, going to college. Where did you go? What did you study? How did you eventually end up uh, helping Nelson Mandela win the election? Well, that particular interest, uh, we have to go back to um, the mid-60s uh, when I was a child. And the civil rights movement was very present in our home. You know, it mattered who got elected. And I'm one of the early beneficiaries of the civil rights movement and legislation that took place during that time. So it was always present for me. I mean, we were the first um, or one of the first families to move into the neighborhood that we moved in. And we we got resistance. We got pushback. So understanding the discrimination and understanding the journey that Black people have been on in the United States was very real to me. And then in my elementary school in fifth grade, I remember it if it was yesterday, we were talking about totalitarian systems in the world. And they talked about apartheid. Now in my elementary school, there were, in my class, there were three black girls, myself and two others. And we're in this classroom, We're learning with our fellow classmates about apartheid and all eyes darted to us because this was a current phenomenon 
of state-sponsored racial discrimination happening in real time. And I, I, I just remember that feeling of otherness and um, the indignation of like, this is still happening. And so it spurred a lot of my political activism, you know, volunteering for campaigns and caring about elections, um, really my whole life from that point forward. Fast forward to, and I had worked on some uh, as a volunteer on uh, some presidential campaigns and congressional campaigns. So I was very active in that way. And I read that Nelson Mandela was coming to the United States to fundraise for his election. And I remember I'm sitting, I was talking to my cousin, we were on her balcony drinking coffee. And I said, I I don't know how, I don't know what the mechanism is going to be, but I'm going to work on that election. And um, there was uh, the State Department at that time was working with the International Foundation of Electoral Systems. I applied. Um, I, you know, wrote an essay on why I wanted to be there and, you know, the fact that I had worked on previous elections. I was one of 150 Americans that was selected for um, participation in the United Nations Observer Mission in South Africa, UNAMSA. And um, then it went to the U.S. mission at the U.N. and they cut it down to 75. I made the cut for 75. And um, there I was two weeks before the election in Johannesburg. So I think to answer your question is it was a passion for justice that has been with me my entire life that propelled me to always look for opportunities to make a difference and to apply what I know. Um, my full ride scholarship was to Boston University. Um, as I said, there was no money in my family to send me to uh, college, to pay for my college, but I loved learning. You know, my mom would read to us bedtime stories all the time. You know, they made the sacrifice to get those encyclopedias that I, seriously, they were my friends. You know, I take a volume and um, would read it cover to cover. And I loved learning. I loved the way um, knowledge empowered you. I mean, it helped me understand how I was going to make my way in the world. And anybody, and we see this with the role models we interview, anyone who's had any success in their life wants to give back to help the next generation succeed. And I've just been able to do so much based on the sacrifices that people that came before me did. I was able to get a good education. I was able to take work that I thought was interesting. I was able to find mentors who, you know, they saw something in me. They were like, okay, you want to advance. You want to learn more. And as those opportunities begat more opportunities and to really be in a position as a knowledge worker, when I was doing um, the consulting work, the international development consulting work, that came from understanding and working with data. Um, I was uh, a data manager for the state of Connecticut, helping them with redistricting. Then I went on to help with geographic information systems, coordination for resource allocation and decision support. Um, then I started doing that as a consultant in the private sector, but then had the opportunity to do that in an international development project. And that's when I realized it's like, I shouldn't be the only one. <laughs> I should not be the only one. And, um, you know, I would have done it a lot sooner had I known that that was the pathway. And that really is, is truly how the idea began for me. Communications major, you know, I'd done video production. And so when I reached out to the first women that we interviewed for um, career girls, you know, 
I had some skills. I knew what I was doing. I loved talking to people. I loved hearing their story. You know, my grandmother was a master storyteller. It was a way that I could really understand um, how people operate, the way the world works. And humans are hard wired to learn from stories. And so I felt it was my my goal, my role to be able to be a conduit for girls around the world, listening to these women and asking them, what do you do? How did you get there? What can I do? What's under my control right now to be able to be in a position like you're in later on. And that's the energy that I take to every interview that we do. I channel my inner child. I'm amazed by these women. And I just want to capture the essence of how and why and how can I. It's interesting to hear you speak about the work that you do with the mentors, because a lot of what you're saying really resonates with me, and I'm sure Girish with you as well, because that's why we do Destiny Benders. We love hearing those stories. We love discovering people's journeys. And I think I'm amazed every single time I, we talk to a new, we have a new guest on the podcast and we hear those stories and I love doing it. Um, and you talk, you started by telling us um, about the impactful people in your life, the destiny benders in your life to lead you, lead you to where you are today or to help you get onto that path. And of course, it sounds like Career Girls is a destiny bending site, organization, you know, resources. You're you're changing the lives of thousands of of girls. Um, do you have any examples or, you know, any thoughts about so you're a destiny bender, you're a life changer. Do you keep up with any of the girls or is there a way to keep up with the people or the girls who use your site? And have you heard any stories of how they've gone on to use your resources to to get to wherever they are today, to keep that journey kind of going the next step of, of it, I guess? Yes. To answer your question, Jessica, um, we do hear from girls who visit our website and uh, we like to capture, you know, to the degree that they have their parents' permission, what um, how they think about what we offer. And I, I was just thinking of one girl, I, I don't remember the country she's from, but she says, you know, I'm paraphrasing her, with all the negativity, I like coming here and seeing, you know, the positive, inspiring content. Um, that's on career girls. And then there, I, I remember one of the first girls that we heard from, uh, she wrote, she was based in uh, Dublin, Ireland. And she said, you know, I've been watching these videos for about three years now. And, you know, I'm studying for my A-levels. And, um, you know, when I first started watching uh, these videos, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I didn't think that was a career for a woman. Of course, I know that's not true. And she went on to name two role models who were from the U.S. Um, one was First Nation. Um, I forget where the other was from, who inspired her. And she said, you know, now I know this is a possibility. If you ever need volunteers in Europe for uh, career girls, you know, I've asked my parents and they said I could do that. So, um you know, it's stories like that that are incredibly heartwarming. And the other thing that I want to talk about in terms of the responses and the impact on girls, a couple years ago, we did um, during our artificial intelligence, machine learning, and robotics camp, I was, you know, just a, a volunteer in a breakout session with uh, a machine learning expert. And we were demoing a, you know, drawing program that assists a user. And um, I was trying to draw a fan, you know, just a fan uh, that I saw in church with you know, my grandmother fanning herself. And so when I would start to draw the fan, it would, you know, it'd start with a V, but the package would take over and draw an automatic fan with, you know, rotary blades. So I did it again. And then our machine learning expert was able to help girls understand 
that the reason why I couldn't draw a traditional fan like that I was thinking was because whoever was sourcing the data sets to help that software draw a fan didn't have any reference for a fan like I did. And I saw the light go off in a girl's eye who's like, oh, I get it. I get it. That person didn't share my experience. And so that's why it's important that I bring my lived experience to this technology, to artificial intelligence, to you know, sourcing those data sets, to making sure the algorithms are reflective of um, my experience and the experience of everyone that's um, being impacted by that technology. So, you know, we get to see the light bulbs going off constantly in our virtual um, camp programs and also with girls um, in our career girls clubs in our Career Girls Day programming that we do, Career Girls Day, we've worked with a local high school to bring middle school girls into their space. So familiarizing them with their future educational environment and playing videos for them, helping them to think about questions like, what does it mean to invest in yourself? What does it mean to be an empowered girl? And then giving them mics and having them share out what that means to them. And it's like popcorn, <laughs> you know, people are running around giving them the mics, you know, so one of our team members was in the control room with the vice principal, I guess, I never see these girls talk that much. And that's like, well, you need to ask them, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's the important thing. Let them understand that their perspectives, the way they view the world their approach to problem solving, their approach to framing are incredibly important and incredibly impactful. And, you know, while I've seen students engage with us in a domestic U.S. setting, I've also had the benefit of doing a workshop with girls. We we did a video shoot in Kigali, Rwanda in 2018, where we interviewed 17 women uh, in tech from 17 countries in the continent. While we were there, we were invited to do a workshop with our empowerment videos at White Dove School for Girls in Rwanda. And I can tell you, seeing the content, um, we were talking about choosing friends and we had role models speaking to um, what to look for in a friend, how to be a friend. And the conversation was as deep, as rich as I had seen in a U.S. domestic setting. You know, everyone is dealing with, especially in that 10 to 13 age range, what is peer pressure? How are you able to, to fit into your group, but also honor you know, who you are as a person and maintain your personal integrity? And um, they get it. Girls are are hanging on every word as I was sharing a story about, you know, how I had to, you know, sort of break with a friend that wanted me to do something that in my core I knew wasn't the way that I wanted to live. And then hearing stories from, from other role models about this is what a good friend is and this is how you treat your friends. So... So Linda, you know, with all these years of the work that you're doing and the interaction that you're facilitating between these mentors and the young women, what are still the persistent barriers or hurdles that exist? What should school districts be doing? What should the government be doing? What should all these organizations and companies be doing? Since we went live, we've been seen in 232 countries and territories around the world. And I, I was just looking this up before our um, talk today, you know, our organic search and the number of sessions we had in the U.S., we had 107,000 since January of this year till now. In the United Kingdom, 10,000. In India, 8,000. In Canada, 5,000. And in South Africa, 5,000. I think we can do better than that. 
I think that starts with, you know, for us as an organization, we would love more resources to grow our team. I mean, I'm I'm a volunteer. Uh, we have we have two staff persons that we pay, but we've got an incredibly strong board. My husband is a videographer. He doesn't get paid. We just, we're giving back. And so one of the things we're trying to do is move from more of a volunteer led model to a paid staff led model. So that requires more resources from funders, either in government foundations or corporations. But I think the thing that's really important is for entities to understand the power of role models. I cannot overstate their importance. Girls need role models to be able to imagine what's possible in their lives. As I said, the thing that's unique about us is providing the how to be it, you know, to the degree. And and we do see some of it, you know, demystify what goes on in your company. If it's a diverse group of people who are designing those robots, who are developing those products, I think it's important to let girls understand that um, there's a role for them in doing it. There's a pathway for them in doing it. So anything that a company can do to show the diversity of their team, I think is going to be impactful. Um, you know, I'd love it if they'd work with us, but any organization that they would support where they're letting girls understand this is, you know, uh, a frontier, a career, a profession that you should consider. And these are the women that are doing it. So that would be um, my first, you know, sort of wish. And then also that schools understand we we were designed to be part of an educator's toolkit. Every single one of our role models talks about how they use the academic subjects that teachers are trying to impart to their students in the work they do every day. They are connecting the dots. They are answering that question, why do I need to study fill in the blank? And they tell you why. You know, one anecdote is we interviewed an architect, a Black woman architect um, from San Francisco. And she, in her take about what she does, I use geometry to design my projects, projects every day. I use geometry to design my projects every day. And I thought about if I was a girl, when I was a girl studying geometry, the only thing I knew is that I had to take it if I was going to get into college. I would have loved to have seen her video telling me I use it every day to bring my vision of a project to life. And then she gave us a story about designing, doing work for a local mall in San Francisco and what it was like to bring her mother into that mall and point out the projects that she had done. Again, I wished eighth grade Linda could have seen her and and known what was possible and to feel that same joy that she had for, you know, showing her mom what she was able to do with um, that skill. That is amazing. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking back to my own high school and I know I sat there at some point in my life and said, why am I studying geometry? When am I ever going to use geometry? You know, and I would have just like you have benefited first from somebody explaining to me why I'm studying. And granted, I was in school many, many, many years ago and things have moved on. And as you were talking, I was thinking you can do today what you're doing because of the technology. Like when I was in school, what you have, career girls, it wouldn't have existed. It couldn't have existed because we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, all of these things that make learning global, easy, instantaneous. Lots of people can share all kinds of things. We just didn't have it. I feel sad now that I'm not a student and not a a 13-year-old me, because I think that if I had had something like Career Girls back then, I would have made very different 
career choices. I'm, I'm first gen. My parents didn't go to college. I, my mom and dad didn't say, well, you should study this because, or you should go to college. I mean, they didn't even tell me to go to college. It was something It was like, what should I do after I graduate from high school? And I floundered for a few years till I actually went to college because I didn't really know what to do. And nobody was telling me. And I think if I'd had career girls, I would have made different choices. I might not have had the background and the career that I've had. So I really applaud you, Linda, um, and what you're doing. I I think it's amazing. As we wrap up, I know I want to be cognizant of your time. We always do a quick fire round of questions, something more personal, lighthearted. I'll go first. My question to you is of the 800 plus women that you have interviewed and you have videos of, who is the one that just stands out to you? Well, you know, there was a um, computer scientist PhD student that we interviewed at MIT, and her name was Afueco Igdabinion. She was like the encyclopedia brought to life. I mean, we just riffed. So if Waco, if you go to our website and you search for her, you'll see that we've got like maybe uh, double the video clips that we have for a lot of our role models because there was literally no topic that she couldn't explain or speak to. So, you know, that that's the first one that comes to mind. But overall, overarching, um, looking at all the role models, the thing that's, that stands out is, you know, they don't take no for an answer. My question to you, and you um, touched upon it earlier, you said something about collecting stamps. And I, Grish, you don't know this, but I also collect stamps. So did I, Jess. My older brother and I were members of the monthly Philatelli or whatever. Is that what yeah, it's but yeah, so funny. <laughs> I love stamps. I do. And you know why I love them? Because to me, they're like little mini works of art. I love getting, I find them on eBay and, you know, people, I don't collect them for any value. I buy like, you know, a hundred stamps for 50 cents or whatever on eBay, but I just love all the little, it's like little, if I could frame them and put them on my wall, I would. So do you still collect stamps, Linda? And if you do, do you have a favorite? (laughs) Oh my God, Jessica, I wish I could say that I do, but um, no, I guess the closest thing to that is um, I wanted to see all seven continents. So I do enjoy looking at the stamps in my passport, but no, I sadly I don't, but I did run like, is the mail here? You know, I, and that you know, when my mom would give me the envelope, I mean, no one would see me for a couple hours. You know, I would just be in my room, like, you know, trying to peel the stamp off with water. right? (laughs) So, uh, you know, they definitely knew where I was (laughs) and what I was up to uh, when the stamps arrived in the mail. Uh, You, you mentioned pen pals. I had a pen pal. I think Jesse had a pen pal, didn't you? I I had pen pals. Yeah. I wish we could still do that. Write letters and all of that. But my question to you is you mentioned the encyclopedias a couple of times as you're growing up. Can you think back and think of one fact that you still remember that when you read it, you're just like, wow, what is this? Yeah, I do. Because it was looking at the double helix for DNA. I was fascinated with genetics. I remember, you know, that visual display in that encyclopedia was like, whoa, that was mind boggling for me. And when we interviewed our geneticist who said she had visited, uh, she was at a conference in Austria and had visited Gregor Mendel's garden, I thought I was going to do cartwheels. It's like, oh my God. All props to World Book Encyclopedia. They had the best Mylar overlays. You could see... You could see human anatomy, you know, they'd show you the respiratory system and you could put the lungs on top of it, (laughs) you know, they put the heart on top of that. I mean, it was, it was just extraordinary. So I loved, I loved um, my encyclopedia friends. (laughs) That's awesome. You were going to add a couple of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, Jessica, understanding the lack of access 
you know, as you said, I mean, the internet when I was coming up wasn't even around. Knowing that we want to serve girls everywhere, we were very intentional about making sure that if you didn't have access to the internet, that you would still have access to our website. And we worked with an organization called World Possible, and they have a portable server called a Rachel. I think it's remotely access community health education learning. And there's a clone of the Career Girls website, including all of our content, um, our video that's available from their portable hotspot, the Rachel. We had a real life example of working with um, Starlight Africa in Rwanda. Um, They were a group that is trying to get solar energy and lighting um, and in throughout Rwanda and also helping girls learn about STEM subjects. So we did a pilot with them where they took, we provided them with a Rachel They created a program using our content where for four weeks on a Saturday in two locations outside of Kigali, they helped girls learn about STEM subjects. They, you know, they had notebooks that they would write things in, but they could project our video from being connected to a Rachel onto a wall and girls were able to see and learn from the women that we've interviewed in the feedback from how that pilot project went. um, They said there was one girl who wanted to be a pulmonologist and insisted that they call her pulmonologist, you know, and her first name. And so Starlight Africa has gone on. Uh, I'm really proud that we helped them expand their organizational capacity. They've gotten funding from MasterCard, and now they're continuing to build on STEM education for girls in Rwanda. So um, I'm really, really proud of that example. And then um, we also have made our content available on learning a qualities Calibre software program where you're able to download materials from the internet onto a, a device. So we we want girls everywhere to be able to access this content, see role models, and learn how to you know create a career in life of their dreams. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we wish you the best of luck. I mean, this is just amazing what you're doing and. Thank you. Uh, would love to help you uh, expand your work and promote it. And hopefully all of our listeners will also do that. Careergirls.org is the website. So Linda, thank you so much for your time today. And Thank you. Thank you too, Jessica. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Destiny Benders. Join us next week when we speak with Melissa Deschamps, the Regional Educational Advising Coordinator, or REAC, for the Middle East and North Africa at Education USA.